0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All
1: right, welcome in again, everybody. It is the Believe and Patriots podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. Special uh, special treat for the listeners again. Doug Flutie going to join us as he did in the uh, last episode, breaking down the Chiefs game. We get ready for the Broncos game, Pats 2-2, two and two, Denver 1-3. and three. I'm at WDEV Radio Brady on Twitter, Brady Farkas. Doug Flutie is at Doug Flutie. Aaron Wells. Is our producer as we get ready for week number five. As always, the podcast is brought to you by our friends at Bet Online. Again, that's BetOnline.ag. If you want to go, you want to gamble on the NFL. You want to feel a part of the NFL. You can't. Um, you can't be at the games in most places. You can't sit in your seat the way you like to. You got nothing to connect you to the game. Gambling can do that. Bet Online can help you do that as well. I told you on Tuesday, I still feel good about it. Plus seven Eagles on the road at Pittsburgh in-state rivalry. I like what I see from Pittsburgh. So, uh, Aaron, to the podcast. What you're about to hear is a presentation of the Believe in Patriots podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. All the news, opinions, and insights on your six and Super Bowl champion, New England Patriots. Now it's your host, me, Brady Farkas, and Heisman Trophy winner, CFL Hall of Famer, and
0: former
2: Patriots quarterback, Doug Flutie.
1: Well, of course, I meant I like what I've seen from Philadelphia at the end of that read, not Pittsburgh. But, anyways, Pats are uh, two and two, Denver's one and three. We welcome in Doug Flutie, the former Patriots quarterback, two times Heisman Trophy winner. Doug, thanks for being with us again this week. How are you? I'm doing all right. Thanks for having <laughs> me again. Well, I appreciate you joining us. Your insight was great after the Kansas City game. Aaron Wells is our producer. Um, Aaron, I just I want to get right into this to start. Kind of give me the first impression sounder right off the bat.
0: First impressions.
1: My first impressions are that as we tape this, we have no idea what this game is going to look like. I don't know if Cam Newton's going to get all the required hoops to jump through to and test negative so he can play. I don't know if Drew Locke's going to play for Denver. I feel like this game is so up in the air here as we tape this middle
3: back half of the week. I, I don't know what to make of this game. I think that we look at this. Uh, we know what we got as backup quarterbacks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and, and we don't like it right now. We didn't like the way it all played out. So I, I think that um, I think Cam will get I think he'll get through protocol. I think he'll be healthy. He was uh, asymptomatic originally. So I, I I'm keeping my fingers crossed that he will be ready to rock and roll and that uh, the offense will be a comfortable, easy offense for Josh McDaniel to call.
1: If you're Brian Hoyer, if you're Jared Stidham, so if you're one of the backup quarterbacks in New England, you don't know if you're going to start here as we approach the end of the week. How do you prepare for a situation like this?
3: Well, I think both guys look at it as an opportunity that no one made a name for themselves last week. No one took control who is the number two guy. And they're battling this week in practice to yeah. decide. It's it's my job. I deserve to be the number two. I'm doing this. I'm going to do this right. And to for Brian Hoyer to make up for a couple of mental errors last week, or even Stidman to Stidham to that through the pick at the end. You know, we had a couple of good things happen. Um, but you know, they've got to show that they can be consistent. That's something that with a backup quarterback. You don't realize how long a, a game – you've played in preseason a, usually, a quarter, a yeah. half, something like that. To play a 60-minute game, there's a lot of plays to execute and a lot from beginning to end because, like, even last week, Hoyer was was executing through the first quarter, doing a lot of things well, and eventually made some critical errors.
1: If you we, – we hear this as fans. We would say this as media types. Let me ask you. We hear – the backup quarterback's going to be better this week because he got reps with the first team.
3: How much does that matter, actually? Um, it does matter. There's no doubt. It does matter. It helps your confidence in play calling. But especially with the Patriots, they game plan per team. There's new stuff that comes in this week. There's, they're going to game plan to what they see on film. And you've got to pick this stuff fresh. We're going to run it in Wednesday's practice. We might get a second rep somewhere along the week. And you got to know it. So there's yeah, you've run some reps. But I think more than anything is the game time from last week is going to help more than anything going into this week and and be ready to play. Um, Nothing, nothing prepares you for game speed like just being in a game.
1: We talked about this a little bit in the podcast after the Chiefs, so I kind of frame it to you in a different way now. So Stidham is looking to keep his spot in the organization. They drafted him in the fourth round. He's on his rookie deal. He's only got two years left after this. He's trying to prove he belongs in the organization. You had to prove your worth over and over again in multiple different organizations. What's the mindset of a quarterback when you're? I feel like you'd always be looking over your shoulder and wondering how they're perceiving you.
3: Okay. I was that way. I was always looking over my shoulder and it was a daily competition in my head. My head was yeah. going 100 miles an hour, whether it was in a meeting, knowing the, you know, being the first one in a locker room. So, And sometimes it was just because you wanted them to know you were the first one in the locker room or that you were there late and that they, you're committed to the task and that you're running extra sprints. And then you're, you're trying to, Get the game plan the night before so you get a head start. All that stuff goes into how much you want it, and they and the coaches see that. Um, there's a lot to be said for that. And I brought up Tim Dwight last week. Tim Dwight and I had little man, man syndrome. We, mm. we felt, and we said this, we have to prove we belong every day, where the big guy that was drafted in the first round has to prove he doesn't belong. And he gets opportunity after opportunity. We screw up once, we're done. And that was our mindset.
1: You know, I played Division Three baseball. And even though it wasn't at a high level, it was a high level to me. It mattered to me. And mentally, everything ate at me. It didn't matter. I could walk the leadoff guy, and I was done for the game. I could get a bad call, and I was done for the game. And it really, really ate at me. And my my coach, my favorite coach of all time, said, dude, you've got paralysis by analysis.
3: Did you have that? Did you overthink things? Um, at times, at times I, I got that way. Um, it's funny the difference too, though. I just pictured when I was in Buffalo, Mm -hmm. um, I finally got to the point, you know, I just got back to the NFL training camp was a blur. I'm trying to learn new, new offenses, new defensive things that are zone blitzes were brand new to me again, all this kind of stuff. And then the light went on, uh, I think it was the last preseason game. And then I got an opportunity to play the first regular season game because I've been in and the light one, and I was relaxed. But the first mm-hmm. few preseason games, it was that way. It was yeah. I'm trying to do everything perfectly. Uh, what is the front? What is the coverage? How am I doing this? What one to two? This plays one to two to three. Uh, the, you know, and the, all this stuff's going through your head. You keep it's got to become instinctive. And there's a point where all of a sudden the light goes on. You start to relax. And a lot of times that has to do with numbers of reps and game time and have some good things happen for you. And then you relax and get back to it. And, uh, yeah, there's no doubt there's a point. There's a lot of time. And I I think Hoyer was that way a little bit last week. One, that he was trying to be perfect. He was trying to do it exactly the way it was supposed to be in practice, coached and – you know, there was no room for, in his mind, no room for error, but also no room for improv- improvising.
1: We have this stigma, at least. Okay, I'm 30 years old, so I have this stigma that everybody from the 90s was quote old school, and all the coaches were very, very mean. And now that all the now all the coaches are a lot more player friendly because they have to be because the players make so much money. Um, did you, as a player, ever have a coach that pulled you aside? You know, There's a kick on the ass and there's a pat on the ass. Did you ever have a coach that was willing to give you the pat on the ass or were they all kicking the ass guys back then?
3: I'll tell you what. The reason I was so successful in college was I had Tom Coughlin as an offense coordinator who was hard on me, disciplined. But on game day, he was calling plays, and Jack McNell was my head coach. He'd wrap his arm around me, mm-hmm. pat me on the back, happy-go-lucky. And I was lucky to play for Wade Phillips in Buffalo, who was that way. And I had – I had a lot of success with those kind of guys. Yeah. I had Mike Dicka in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I talked, Jim McMahon and I played golf together out in Tahoe this year at <laughs> the celebrity tournament out there. And we're talking about some things here and there. And I, th- I said, to Jim, I go, Jim, you're the only guy that could have been successful playing for Mike Dicka because you didn't give a damn. You know, he couldn't, you were, you would give it right back. You know, I, it, it affected me. If he got mad at me, like Mike Dicke loved me, but on yeah. game day, he was kind of hot-headed and irrational and something bad happened. And he, and so you're afraid to make mistakes. You're afraid to take chances. You don't want to screw up and you don't make plays when you play that way. And Jim, he didn't give a damn. He just let it rip and do what he felt was right and go. And, uh, you know, so that for me, a quarterback needs to know that the OC, at least the offensive coordinator or head coach, um, has the confidence in him to just turn them loose and let them play. So you relax and just go play. Because if you don't, you're not going to make big plays.
1: I think it's an underrated part of coaching, by the way, that just finding out which type of response your players respond to or which type of attitude they respond to. It's 53 guys. It's hard. And some guys are in or in and out a lot. I get that it's difficult. But investing that time to learn your players is something I would think that should be at the forefront when a
3: guy gets a job. I it's. You're right, though. You're 100%. I don't know how you do it, but to know which guys need to kick kick in the pants and the light of fire under them to get them going and what guy is – okay, this guy's disciplined enough and and he's going to be all right. I'm going to leave him alone and give him a little boost in confidence. and You know, there's everybody has different traits, and coaches have to figure it out. And it's a tough thing because there are guys that definitely – responded to yelling and screaming and yeah. getting in their face and kicking them in the tail and getting them going.
1: By the way, Patriots playing the Broncos 425. CBS moved this game from the 1 o'clock window to the 425 window because I think there's such a fascination about Cam and there's such a fascination about the Pats with Cam. If Cam doesn't play and if Locke doesn't play, how much is CBS kicking themselves that they get wow. a Brett Rippon versus Stidham or Hoyer matchup?
3: Well, we could we could just run the ball three times and punt and see yeah. who puts the ball the furthest and kick a field goal. Oh, um, man. No, I I, tell you, I think if Hoyer plays, I think Hoyer will play more relaxed and more aggressive. Um, if Stidham plays, I think we'll see what we saw a lot of him last week, and that was just go in and turn it loose. And you know he'll probably make a mistake or two, but um, you know he'll turn, I think that the playing time that guys got last week will carry over to be a much more comfortable stepping on the field this week.
1: How much does it matter that Denver gets the extra days to prepare? Because they played on Thursday night football against the Jets. Now, the Patriots <laughs> have the short week for the Monday night game, and the Broncos have the long week. Does that matter?
3: I, I think it does. When yeah. you have a long week, you get an extra day of rest. You get a little more time to prep. Um, with the Patriots, they've traveled, come back on what was a hectic day, traveling in and out on the same day as playing, and then a short week, um, it just messes with your rhythm. And, uh, you know, I when you lose, though, you just won't get back out on the field, too. Yeah. So, you know, for whatever that's worth. But when you're dealing with backup quarterbacks and variables and unsure who's going to be on the field, you'd like that extra window of time to prepare.
1: Patriots, Broncos, 425. It's in the CBS late game window. Aaron, let's get to uh, the opponent's spotlight for the one and three Broncos. Opponent spotlight. You know, I won't spend too much time on this, but as I really did my deep dive on the Broncos, Doug, I'm amazed to find out that Melvin Gordon's only 27 years old. Like I thought, Melvin Gordon was like 33. Melvin Gordon is a young man still, and he leads this Broncos offense. I had no idea he was 27. That's that. I
3: that's shocking to me too. <laughs> He's um, most of the guys are coming out of college. See, they. They red shirt in kindergarten. Yes. Right. The, the parents hold them back and don't start them in school. Then when they get out of high school, actually, some of them go into college in the spring. But then all the, the J.C. and the bouncing around and the pulling back and waiting. And then the six years of college. They may have only played two years at LSU, but they're five years out of high school. <laughs> you know, so they're 24 when they're getting to the NFL. I guess Melvin got out right away. <laughs>
1: Well, you know, I thought that Gordon was done. He made a a stakehold now with the Chargers. They let him go. They give Eckler the money. So I thought Gordon was done, and here he is. He supplanted Royce Freeman, Philip Lindsay. He's ninth in the NFL in rushing. Drew Locke is a young quarterback, and if Brett Ripon plays, he's a young backup quarterback. When you are a backup or a young QB, do you need that running game to be behind you and aid you?
3: You know, the coaches say that, and then you get into that mode where, yeah, let's hand it off and keep me in good down and distance and don't throw the ball 40 times. You know, let's only throw it 18 to 25 times. But every time you do that, every time you're throwing the football, it's third and medium or third and long and you got one shot or you're off the field. I'd rather let's spread them out, air this thing out, turn it loose and give me three shots to complete a pass for a first down and get moving and get the guy in the rhythm and give him confidence that way. I don't like being protected as a quarterback. I didn't like when we ran the ball, ran the ball, ran the ball. Now, you know, I think the Patriots did a little of that last week because of who they were facing on the other side and didn't want Mahomes to get into a rhythm and have, you know, you go three and out a couple times quick, and all of a sudden you're down 14 nothing and he's got a rhythm going. Right. But I didn't like being protected. I, I didn't – that that showed that the coach didn't have confidence in you and you had to be almost perfect because if you throw an incomplete pass at all, you're punting. And that frustrated me.
1: Do you think that the running back has been too devalued? Like I, I'm okay not taking a running back in the first round, but I do believe that running backs are important. I do believe that the running game oh. is important, that balance is important. what are you? What's your thoughts on the run game overall? The run game
3: to me – and this came from my Canadian years – the pass game to me was an efficient basketball on grass, short passing game. Yeah. It's going to keep me in down and distance. And when you line up in a defense now to take that away, I'm going to slip a run and we're going to gash it for eight to ten yards. Yeah. And that's how I wanted to run the ball. I wanted to run the ball once you put that dime defender on the field, and now my guard is getting up on a defensive back and blocking him and the tackle's getting you know that that's the way i like to run the ball or you ran option football zone read stuff where you don't have to block the best defender on the field let the defensive end come at me okay i pitch it to him he's on the corner zone read and takes me he's on the corner or up through whatever it is that's the way i like to run the football with with the tailback in today's game it's like white for the patriot you want yeah. the guy kamari um Oh shoot. McCaffrey. McCaffrey. Thank you. There you go. You know, uh, you know those guys are the most dangerous guys in the NFL because they get the matchups. They're great running backs, handle the ball, you run the offense. Um, you know, if guys are gonna put dime on the field, you motion a tight end in the backfield as a lead back, you still got your two back runs against dime defense, and here's your guy carrying the ball. But then you match him up on linebackers and get him in the pass game. Those are like the tight end. Tight ends and running backs are the guys that can get the matchups in the past game. And running backs that can run routes and catch the ball are invaluable in the NFL.
1: Well, you mentioned that, and McCaffrey's one, and Saquon Barkley, when he's healthy, is another. These backs that can do everything they can line up, and Bell, they can be running backs, they can be receivers, they can do everything. Did you really have that in your career? Because I'm thinking mid 90s running backs, big pads get low. don't <laughs> pads. Like, I'm thinking Chris Warren in Seattle and Antoine Smith, who you might have played with in Buffalo. Like, I don't see a lot of pass catchers there.
3: The guy, why well, I, I had Thurman Thomas at the end Thurman of the Thurman Thomas, game. yes. Thurman was great. And I had Ladanian Tomlinson out in San oh, Diego. That's pretty darn good. Yeah. And, and my first touchdown pass in the NFL was to Walter Payton in Chicago. Oh, my God. And it was a deep corner route over the shoulder in the back of the end zone, dragging it. It was an amazing play on his part. Um, but Ladanian I go right to in my mind. We were playing in Detroit, and he ran that little angle route out of the backfield. We called it f post. He came out, stuck the guy back inside, almost like a quick slant from the backfield. I threw the ball five yards, 70-yard touchdown. I threw the ball five yards, 60-yard touchdown. He just hit it running, sliced up through, and gone. And those guys, the guys that really and, – and Ladanian wasn't quite this, but now there are guys and, – and White does it for New England. get out there wide, and they always ran a hitch or a go. Now they're running slants. They're running curls, skinny posts. Those guys, if they can do that stuff, it's, it's on.
1: Well, Melvin Gordon is my guy to watch. He's my guy in the opponent spotlight for Denver. I, again, 27 years old. I can't believe it. So what we'll do is we'll say bye to Doug for a moment. We'll bring on Zach By, who's a, the co-host of uh, Stokely and Zach on 104.3 The Fan in Denver. And uh, he'll give us his insight on the Broncos. All right. All right. I want to welcome in now Believe in Patriots podcast, Zach By, radio host, 104.3 The Fan in Denver. Back in the day, we used to work together. So it's been pretty cool to, to reconnect here. Um, Zach, first off, man, I'm sorry you didn't get to talk to Flutie for this because even though you're in Denver, I know you grew up a Bills fan. I know you had Flutie pennants, jerseys, and Flutie Flakes. I just know it.
2: I still actually have a box of Flutie Flakes that has never been opened. They released (laughs) like three boxes. I had two of them. And Flutie, when he came on the scene in Buffalo, they started like he was the backup. And I forget who the quarterback at the time was. Maybe I think it was Rob Johnson. Yeah. And he got he got benched. They started 0-3. And I think they won week four. Flutie came in. And then they didn't lose till like week thirteen. And the Buffalo and New York State really was like on fire for, for Doug Doug Flutie. So he he's got a little special place in my heart.
1: Yeah, no, Flutie's a man. It's been cool. He joined me this week to talk about the Chiefs game, previewing the Broncos game. The thing that's that's a little bit tougher about podcasting than daily radio, as you know, is that so we're taping this interview. As we tape this, we're taping it midweek. We don't know what's going to happen now with this game in the wake of the Stefan Gilmore positive test. There could be others that come down the line. Um, I guess, assuming this game gets played, what, where's your lean right now on Patriots-Broncos?
2: Well, uh, let me just say this. First, I do think the game is going to be played. Um, outside of a mass spread, uh, Tennessee Titans, yeah. You know, when you're talking about, 16, 22 uh, players and personnel uh, testing positive for COVID. Outside of that, I think the NFL has shown that this train is just going to keep moving down the tracks. And think about this. You had a game in prime time this past week with the starting quarterback of a legacy franchise like the Patriots, and they went on without him. So I I think that they're not going to slow down for for Stephon Gilmore. I think the game will be played. Cam will be back. Stephon Gilmore, a ready defensive player of the year, will be gone. Uh, my lean um, is the New England Patriots. I just think they have the better roster. I think they have the better coach. Uh, you look at how decimated the Broncos are with injuries. You know, I, Brady, I never thought the Broncos were going to be a great team this year. I picked them at 7-9 and nine before any of the injuries happened. Yeah. So for me, if your starting point is 7-9 and and you ha- get decimated with injuries like that, you're probably going to be 4-12, and 5-11, and, and I think that's what the Broncos will be um, going to Foxborough, even though the Patriots are on a short week. Man, I watched the Patriots. That defense uh, really humanized Kansas City, particularly in the first half, where it's 6-3. to They had great drives, have to settle for fear goals. They had three and outs. Uh, they made Kansas City um, turn it over once. So outside – I mean, you think about this. Kansas City played a whole football game against New England, right, the Super Bowl champions. They scored two offensive touchdowns. That's that's it. I think the score was 26-10, to but you mix in a a defensive score, you mix in a bunch of field goals, that game was less lopsided than the score would indicate. So I think the Patriots are an awesome team with an awesome roster. I think they win this weekend.
1: So we don't know if Cam's going to play, but hopefully Cam plays. We don't know who's going to play quarterback for Denver either. So last I read, Vic Fangio says that Drew Locke's 50-50 to go. How different is this team with Drew
2: Locke versus Brett Riffin? Oh, my gosh. It's a world of different. I mean, Drew Locke, if Drew Locke left after – if he left a year prior uh, coming out of college, he might have been the number one pick. I mean, he was was that good. He uh, 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 changes offensive coordinators, numbers go down. He gets picked in the top of the second round instead of the first. He's super talented. He's the most talented quarterback the Broncos have had since Peyton left. There's been nine different QBs that have started since that time. Drew Locke is far to win. I can tell you I've had eyes on every single one of these QBs since Peyton. Drew Locke is by far the most talented quarterback that they've had uh, since 18, retired. So the the difference is massive because you're talking about it's not Drew Locke to – you know, even a Brian, well, I shouldn't use Brian Hoyer as an example after this week, but like a, a cop, like a Case Keenum type backup, like a Joe Flacco type backup. Uh, Brett Rippon, Brett Rippen, um, you know, he started one football game in his career. He's an undrafted player. He has kind of a pop gun arm. Uh, and I think you're going to see him turn the football over. And, I, you know, against that uh, Patriots defense, I have not much confidence that. It's going to be Brett Rippon that's going to be the one to solve them. Uh, I just, I think the difference is massive. And I will tell you, Brady, I don't think Drew Locke will play this week. I don't think he's 50-50. I'd put it at 90-10 that he doesn't play. I think it'll be Brett Rippon.
1: Dude, I can't believe this. Flutie and I were just talking about this before you came on. Melvin Gordon's only 27 years old. Like I thought this dude was like 33 and on the way out yeah. of his career, all of a sudden he's ninth in the league in rushing, still pretty young. Melvin Gordon, um, I don't know if it's a
2: resurgence, but playing well in Denver. Yeah, he's playing well. The numbers, you know, Melvin right now, if you watch it down by down, he's playing good. He's not playing great. He's not playing below average. And here's a good example. And you know how this happens too, Brady, with with stats. It's three and a half quarters this past week against the New York Jets Thursday Night Football. Melvin Gordon's averaging 2.9 a carry on 22 carries. Wow. He busts a 47 yard, he busts a 47 yard yeah. run, he finishes with 107 yards. Now he's averaging over, you know, whatever it is per, per carry. And you look at it, you say, whoa, 107 yards, two touchdowns. Well, that last run came with six minutes left in the game, and it jades the way that you look at the performance because up to that point it was rather mediocre. So um, Melvin Gordon has been good, not great. They're paying him top 10 money. Uh, he's got to continue to to play well to get the return on uh, John Elway's investment because they already had a running back. That's the thing. Like they already had a Pro Bowl running back. So to turn around and pay another guy outside of the building top 10 money when that guy's still here, um, you have to almost justify that move. So he's got to continue to play well.
1: What about at receiver? All I heard in the draft was that the Eagles killed it at receiver and the Broncos got a whole lot faster. Now, Sutton's not playing. He's injured, I know, but they got uh, Jerry Judy. So what do we think of the young Broncos receivers in tight end group?
2: Well, I think the receivers and tight end group is phenomenal. I think they're going places. I think their trajectory is like one of the best in the NFL in terms of skill position players, where you have Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy. They drafted K.J. Hamler, speedster out of, of Penn State in the second round. Um, and then they have a first-round pick last year, Noah Fant, tight end out of Iowa. Yeah. So, skill position-wise, they're, they're great. Problem is, you need to block people in this league. And I thought the <laughs> Broncos and John Elway made a mistake in the second round. You know, Brady, they were the seventh team ever, ever, to draft receiver-receiver in the first round, second round. Wow, huh. Doesn't happen a lot. The Broncos had other issues. The Broncos are rebuilding here. So, when they did that, personally, I thought that was overextending themselves to try to be something that they're just not, you're not Kansas city. And I know that, that he, they kind of wanted to maybe build the Broncos in their image. That's their divisional uh, a neighbor. And I just thought they, they could have gone corner. They could have gone tackle. And now it turns out the speedster from Penn state second round guy has a hamstring. He's not playing Cortland Sutton. Now he's out for the year. Uh, and now you still have your issues at tackle and, and, yeah. and, and, and guard and, and set a rookie center out of LSU is, has, has been underwhelming. So um, the Broncos have more fundamental issues than their skill position players because the skill position players are pretty good.
1: Dude, I hear people talking in New England about, uh, let's just bring Tom Brady back someday as a, as a GM. Let's bring him back as an ownership position. Let's give him some stake of the franchise. I want no part of that because I don't want the situation that you're faced with in Denver where I hear rumors about John Elway, the best player in franchise history, Being on the hot seat, like I want no part of that for Tom Brady. Is Elway really on the hot seat
2: there? Well, he's not on the hot seat, uh, because the Broncos are the only professional sports team in the four major professional sports that currently do not have an owner. Pat Boland died a handful of years ago, they're being run by a trust. So, one of those like trustees or like the sitting guy in charge, Joe Ellis, he's not going to fire John Elway. Like, no one wants to be the guy to fire. The most famous person in the history of Colorado, not like yeah. the Broncos or the like the state of Colorado. John Elway's the most famous <laughs> figurehead uh, that this state has ever had. So no one wants to be the guy to, to come in and fire him. And then the other side of the argument is like, yes, this is the worst stretch of Broncos football since the early 70s. Believe it or not, the Broncos have just experienced 2017, 2018 was the first back to back losing seasons they've had since the 70s, dude. Like, think about that. Back-to-back losing seasons, that happens all the time. I'm a, I grew up a Bills fan. That's like, that's our homeostasis. Like, that's, how, <laughs> that's our baseline. So, yes, it's the worst stretch of Broncos football since the 70s, but it was also John Elway's watch where he took the team to Super Bowl forty eight with the highest scoring offense in NFL history, Peyton Manning 55 touchdowns. He brought in DeMarcus Ware and Emmanuel Sanders and to leave. They lose. They retool the team. They go back to the Super Bowl. They win the Super Bowl. So John has this enormous amount of equity built up as a player. Then the general manager gets like larger than life. Like, oh, my God, he is he somehow a better GM than he was a player? Two Super Bowl appearances, one Super Bowl win. But now you have this other, you know, muddy period. So trying to organize all of it and how much he's to blame now and how much credit does he deserve Then It's not just some simple conversation. It's actually a really, really complicated managerial history for, for John. But I'll finish it with this. Is he on the hot seat with you know the organization? No, but this fan base, boy, the temperature's turned on John Irway, I can tell you. I'll get you out of here
1: on this. So um, I've been now in New England for four years, and I grew up a Seattle fan, and I'm still a Seattle fan. But I've developed a soft spot for the Celtics, the Red Sox. I really do like the Patriots. I really do root for these teams when they're not We're playing. In. When they're I not playing my like team, it. but yeah, you're a, you grew up a Bills fan. When the Bills play Denver this year, who are you going to be rooting for?
2: Well, they played the Broncos last year, and I got a lot of heat because I actually took my shirt off and I had a Bill shirt on underneath, and that's <laughs> how I made my like Lee Corso style. Pick. Yeah, um, you know. It's complicated. I don't like it, to be totally honest. Like, the question you just asked me makes me uncomfortable because I legitimately don't like it. And you've experienced that some of your yourself here. And when you move to a new place and you love that place and you make that place your home by choice, you want to root for those teams because that is where you live. This is where my son is born. Um, so the way I've said it is the Bills are like my mom and the Broncos are like my wife. <laughs> my mom came first. The Bills have always been there, but my day-to-day priority <laughs> is the Broncos, my wife per se. Um, so I don't like it when my mom and my wife get in an argument. Uh, my my answer to you at the end of the day is I'm rooting for the Bills because yeah, that's what I, I, thought. I think that you need to be, you know, there has to be some level of loyalty um at a certain point and maybe years down the line brady like that'll change maybe maybe i'll be in denver longer than i was ever in new york and maybe that'll change um but for right now you know the bills are something that keeps me and my brother uh tight my sister roots for the bills um and although professionally it's best for business when the broncos win for that three hours on a sunday i'll i'll probably be rooting for the buffalo bills. <laughs>
1: Last thing here, quick. So you do the radio show with Brandon Stokely, Super Bowl champion, wide receiver. I've taped so many things this week. I can't remember when this nugget is going to appear, but I talked with Flutie. It might even be after this interview portion of the podcast. Flutie told me an amazing thing. He played long enough in the NFL to throw a touchdown to both Walter Payton and LaDainian Tomlinson. Like, that's how long Flutie was around for. What's the craziest thing Stokely told you he did?
2: Man, so Stokely Stokely was not supposed to be in the NFL for as long as he was. He was a fourth round draft pick uh, out of the Raging Cajuns um, back when they had a different name uh, as an institution. Um, he played 15 years. Like he caught passes from both Peyton Manning and Eli Manning. Believe it or not, in a short thing in New York. Um, man, the craziest thing, you know, catching a touchdown in the Super Bowl. You know, I yeah. guess when you're a kid, you envision you know catching a t- if you're a football player you picture catching a touchdown in the Super Bowl and he he did that with the Ravens against the New York Giants back in the year 2000 and we saw Chris Mortensen Mort report at the Senior yeah. Bowl years ago and he pulls Stokely aside and he goes 7-0 game over and i didn't <laughs> understand the reference at the time but he said he he explained he said that Ravens defense Ray Lewis and you yeah. know, the whole gang Tony Saragusa, He said that that defense was so great, you know, that 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 Ravens team had a period of five weeks during the season that they didn't score a touchdown for five straight weeks. And they went three and two during the stretch. (laughs) Think about that. And he said that Ravens defense was so great that if the Ravens offense scored a touchdown, that would be the game. Because you knew you were going to get one defensively. They ended up getting a kick return to the house, but he's the one who caught the touchdown. So I think that's pretty cool. And then you're a Seattle guy in the Beast Quake game. He caught a touchdown in that game as well. I know. Uh, I
1: forgot. I forget he was even a Seahawk for, you know, at that
2: point. But yeah, he did. And then actually, actually, here's the right answer. Here's the right answer. Uh, You said the coolest thing Uh, there's only been one trio of wide receivers in the history of the NFL. In one season, I'll go for a thousand yards and ten or more touchdowns. Still to this day. And that was Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne, and Brandon Stokely. So I think that's probably the coolest thing. Zach by 1043, the fan in Denver. Hopefully the
1: game gets played. Hopefully, uh, everybody is safe. Hopefully we see Cam. You know, Patriot fans want to see Brett ripping, but I hope Drew Lock gets healthy too. So Zach, thanks a lot,
2: man. Appreciate it. Yeah, Brady, thanks for having me on, man. Best of luck with the pod. All right.
1: All right, I want to thank Zach Bai again, a good longtime friend of mine, 104.3, the fan in Denver, covers the Broncos. Doug, also, we bring in Doug Flutie back, also a diehard Bills fan. I guarantee you he had Flutie flakes growing up and was regretfully he didn't get to speak to
3: you. Oh, my. that's uh, I just signed the uh, – who had it? Oh, over to hockey rink. I'm in Florida, and there's actually a hockey rink. And got, <laughs> I, anyway. I just signed one of the original boxes there. I've got my collection here. Wow. That was amazing. That was all about uh, the fans in Buffalo were amazing. So they all kept them. They all kept them.
1: Is your heart by the way Patriots 2 and 2. This is the Pats podcast. Buffalo's 4 and 0. Oh, you played for both. Who is your heart with when these two teams meet up?
3: I I you know what's fu- I don't know now. Because <laughs> I, I, Tom and I were close yeah. and I'm still close with a lot of the New England people and uh, in the organization So I still cheer for the Patriots. Um, Last year, I got up to Buffalo for the first time to a game since I played. I went to Buffalo for a couple of events, but I got to a game. And the fans were absolutely amazing. They treated me like I was Jim Kelly. I spent three years in Buffalo. Yeah. You would have thought I was a Hall of Famer there and that I did what – they were amazing. And I started to reconnect with the Buffalo organization, do some things with them. So they've really treated me well in the last year or two, and I've I've really kind of reconnected. So deep down, I'm still rooting for both, and to cover my tail, I just say I want everybody to win. I want a lot of of offense. I want the quarterbacks and the
1: offenses. I have a soft spot for Buffalo. I went to college in, in central Western New York and the bills were horrendous. And I had to watch four years worth of Trent Edwards games where he didn't do anything, but throw it six yards down the field. It was four awful years watching the bills. Now they're good. I I'm happy for their fans. Cause I lived it for four years. Um, we usually do it this time of the podcast. We usually do grading Cam's wardrobe, but since Cam didn't play, we don't know what Cam wore, so we can't do grading Cam's wardrobe. Well, glad he's okay. Hopefully he gets on the field again. We don't know as we tape this. And Aaron, our producer, I'm mad at myself because on Wednesday with Doug, we didn't get to play my favorite segment of the week. We were supposed to do Crazy Patriots Twitter takes today. We did it on Wednesday. Wednesday we were supposed to do – this makes me want to drink, so I have to go back because it's my favorite segment of the week, Aaron.
3: The weekend
2: is over. I thought it was time to stop drinking. I'm kind of beat. Yeah. yeah. Thank God I'm exhausted. Uh, but this makes me want to drink.
3: I just can't. I need a drink. Give me a drink.
2: There you go.
1: This makes me want to drink. I'm going back to the game against the Chiefs. How do quarterbacks who who are 34 years old not know how many timeouts they have? Doug, did that ever happen Is to you? Your explanation
3: was he didn't know the timeouts. Yes, he tried to call. Oh. He got he
1: got sacked and tried to call timeout. He didn't have one. He was like Chris Webber.
3: Thought he was trying to make a play and didn't. Uh, that's yeah. Well, I'll tell you a story that Bill did to me when I got. I was 43 years old in New England. Okay. Just got there, and it's game situational stuff going on in the training camp. And we're lining up for a field goal, and the clock's running, and I'm we're run out and we're gonna do the field goal. I'm here. Vrabel's over on the defensive side of the ball, and Vrabel reaches up and calls timeout. I stand up as the holder and relax. I look up and the clock's still running. Three, two. I could jump down, we snap the ball, we kick the field goal. Mm. We they had. Bill intentionally put up on the scoreboard numbers of timeouts as well. Wow! I just thought we were running the drill where we're running out on the field and we're kicking a field goal. And Vrabel knows that – that's why he's a head coach now too. Mm. He plays that game mentally with Bill. I So you should it's, – it's the cardinal sin. You should know how many timeouts are on the board. You know that situation. Vrabel got me, but we still got the kickoff. But – you know, we'd never get you again because it's a, it's a exercise in learning. And uh, you just, you got to know that situation. You got to know that situation. It's been discussed, but also you got the earpiece in your helmet from the sideline. Yeah. The reminders come in as you're making the play call. Uh, I'm sure Josh probably said it to him before the snap. Okay. Make sure you get rid of the ball. You know, no, no timeout. I I'd like to know that because Josh probably did. Quarterback
1: play, that is what made me want to drink after that game against the Chiefs. Hopefully it's a happy beer after the game against Denver. Doug, I'll get you out of here on this one. You talk about Vrabel being a smart teammate. Who's the most cerebral teammate that you had?
3: Uh, I'll go back to that. T- it's got to be Tommy. got to be yeah. Tommy. Oh, that was an obvious one. Um, but, but you know what? I would say Vrabel because, <laughs> you know, I, I expect that of Tom. I don't know that I expect that from, you know, the guy over in the, 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 the linebacker on the team. You know, there's yeah. that. But but they've gotten to that point, too, where it's a chess match because everything is called the line of scrimmage now. And it's a chess match that goes on from defense to offense. And, and who, who has the chalk? We used to say who has the chalk glass all the time. You know, they draw up a defense. We draw up a play to beat it. Well, if you're going to do that, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. So now it's a game with the shot clock or play clock of who can make the adjustment last, and he was phenomenal at it on the defensive side of the ball as well. He's Doug Flutie. He threw
1: touchdown passes to Thurman Thomas, Walter Payton, LaDainian Tomlinson. He's a CFL Hall of Famer. Aaron Wells is our great producer working in the background. I'm Brady Farkas. You can subscribe, rate, review, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. This is the Believe in Patriots podcast. Since we don't know who the quarterback is officially yet, I reserve my official prediction for social media later in the week once we see that, but Patriots are going to win, I'll tell you that. So uh, for Doug Flutie, Doug, thanks for hanging out with us again this week. We will do it soon. Aaron, thank you. Subscribe, rate, review, and go Pats.
0: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies.